Welcome travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika. And this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your not-so-humble guides on the quest for RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you. On our show, we feature diverse tabletop RPG systems, demonstrating them through actual plays and breaking down the rules to provide you with tips, tools, and techniques to help you navigate them. We also love bringing the content creators behind these games into the studio to give you a peek behind the curtain with relevant and insightful interviews. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world or system you're playing. Because detailed settings, heroic characters, diverse NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary. Here's a message from friends of the show. Hey, everybody. We're the hosts of Two Weeks, One Shot, a tabletop RPG variety podcast. We play one-shot campaigns in a variety of systems. With a variety of guests from all around the TTRPG scene. And obviously, I bring a certain je ne sais quoi to every performance. I never trusted jellyfish as one of my space racism. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about how every time I run a game, you guys manage to find, like, the weirdest take you can possibly give on it. Have you accepted one of my bugs into your body so that we can communicate? Communicate telepathically. No, get your bug. No bugs in my body. First sign of trouble. Shoot it! Shoot it with the gun! <laughs> Find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search Two Weeks, One Shot. Are we ever going to have a serious discussion about playing furry pirates? No, 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 Welcome, everybody, to today's episode. So we are going to be cracking a little bit more into Star Trek Adventures tonight. We're going to be doing a discussion on how to build your characters and how to build the ships and the tools that are going to be used as you are playing through the game. And go ahead and give some guidance on how to go ahead and navigate that process. Before we dive into the episode as a whole, uh, as always, my erstwhile co-hosts, Mr. Myers, Mr. Miller, good evening, good evening. Let's play our favorite opening game, Mr. Myers. Where is Glenn tonight? <laughs> Wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> Only if you're in my front yard being creepy. At least let me run your garden hose. You left the windows down on your car, Josh. That's <laughs> yeah, entirely possible. Yeah. No, I'm in Connecticut still. Next week on Friday, we head south for Gettysburg. But this session and our next recording session next Thursday, I believe, mm -hmm. or meeting on Monday, I will still be in the now sunny state of Connecticut. It's that's not as much fun if I don't ask you every week, though. That's that's, not, yeah. that's okay. Just sometimes you'll get the same answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about you, Mr. Miller? How are you doing tonight, sir? 
Ah, day one of vacation. Got a family wedding coming up over the weekend, so I took Thursday, Friday, and Monday off so I can do some things, hang out, relax a bit, and I had a great conversation. I've got some custom stuff for a suit setup coming up from my suit guy, but most importantly, I had the day so I could tune in and watch episode nine of Star Trek Picard season three, and that is such a brilliant and fantastic episode. Like I normally don't get to watch Picard until Friday night or Saturday, depending. And I won't spoil it for folks, but I can say unequivocally, no questions asked. It is the single finest episode of Star Trek. I think I have ever seen. I'm not sure that I'm going to go that far. Having also watched all of the card. I don't know if it's the finest episode I've ever seen. It was really good. And it also, it also tied together a bunch of little subtle references that they had made throughout the entirety of the season about what's really going on. Right. Cause that's always what's, that's what this, that's what this season has always been about is what is really going on. And they were very good at showing red herrings and hiding Easter eggs to go ahead and throw the, uh, the scent off the trail. But uh, yeah, very good. Glenn, are you watching Picard? I'm not caught up on Picard or any of the other Star Trek shows. I do not have the appropriate streaming service to view them mm. currently, though we're going to rectify that, especially with our current focus so that I can try to, do a little bit of catch up. I will, however, without having seen it, say that for me, it would be tough to beat, though it's not a single episode. It's the series conclusion series of episodes, two to three for Voyager, were probably some of the best Star Trek I've ever seen. Yep. With the timey wiminess and the board cube. And Yep. I think, I think that hands down best Star Trek episode of all time is the Next Generation episode, The Inner Light. That's one where Picard gets sucked into an alternate life and lives this entire life as this other person, only to go ahead and find out at the end of the episode that this was that this entire species had died and that this was their way of passing on their history, was basically this probe that would download their history into whoever wandered by. Considered to be probably one of the best, certainly one of the top five next generation episodes of all time. So I would absolutely put that really close to the top. The only reason why I would mark it down as is because to me, Star Trek is about the crew and not the individuals. And this episode was about the the crew. This episode of Star Trek Picard. Yes. Hmm. An an interesting thesis that this episode of Star Trek Picard. Because I think in this episode, probably more so than any others, all of the crew, every member of the crew had a lot to do and a lot to say within this episode. Everybody had scenes. Everybody had moments in the TNG original crew. And that doesn't happen often where all seven of them get those moments all in one episode and the fact that they were also brilliantly done and tied mm, yep that's why for me it's better than inner light which is one of my favorite episodes so i definitely agree with you on everything you said i just like this one better i just think that this one has to stand the test of time before we can put it up there with best episodes of all time okay it's 12 hours old (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't even think I watched it 12 hours ago. But I know. Yeah. No, that's, I think it was posted 12 hours ago. Anyway, all that to go ahead and say, I think we, we could talk about Picard. Uh, folks, this is why we used to do an entire series of show called Side Quests, because we couldn't go ahead and not talk about the stuff that we're watching. And we are 
as we said at the time, we are truly living in a golden age of geek TV. We said last episode about kind of the layout of some of these Star Trek adventure books, that there's a lot of lore at the beginning of them before you get into the meat and potatoes of the rules that make make an episode like what we're hoping to go ahead and produce tonight pretty useful, where we're going to break down character generation and ship generations. Like we alluded to last time, the rules are a thick read. I think we can just go ahead and you want to listen to our take on how that breaks down. Listen to last week's episode. We'll get into depth about what we think, how deep we think these books go, why we think they go the depth that they do, the pluses and the minuses of that. We're not going to rehash that tonight. What we do want to do tonight is spend some time breaking apart how to go ahead and build characters. Because that's ultimately what we all want to do, right? We want to go ahead and play this game. The game's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to running my first session of it this coming weekend. And in order to get y'all there, you have to make characters. And so we want to go ahead and break down that kind of how mechanically do you do the thing, right? How can you write a thing that allows you to go ahead and join our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys and then play in our Star Trek adventure game with our other Patreon subscribers. Yeah. So, Luminica, you've certainly, I think, of the three of us, had the most experience here. What are your thoughts on the entry point? Where do folks need to start? If they went out to their friendly neighborhood game store, bought the player's guide, bought the storyteller's guide, bought the core rule book, they're sitting there looking at the three books, they've got a thousand pages of book in front of them. What's their first step? Where do they start? Yeah, absolutely. How does a player begin playing this game? And additionally, how does one of those players who chooses the GM role step in and go ahead and start this? I will stand by what I've said previously. The number one thing, the first thing a new game master who wants to do Star Trek Adventures wants to do is pick up the starter box set, pick up the game master guide and the core rule book. Now, We're going to also talk about the methodology on the way to do this so that you know how to do this quickly and you can be having fun within hours, right? So if you're a player, I'm going to alter that list of things a little bit. For a player, I would definitely recommend picking up the player's guide. I would definitely recommend picking up the core rule book, but a player is going to want to go to the free resource that is BC Homes Character Generator. The links to that will be in the descriptions here. We're going to talk about that a lot. If you ask us a question on Twitter, on Facebook, we'll certainly hit you up with those links again. I know that it's also linked at Continuing Missions, the number one fan website for Star Trek Adventures game. Run, run by friend of the show, Michael Dismuke, who appeared on the show a couple months ago. He runs that Continuing Missions uh, fan site. Absolutely. And so... With the character generation tool by BC Holmes and those other books I mentioned at your side, you have everything to get started with this game from a character generation standpoint. The core rules, as we said, thick read. If you go right to the correct chapter on this, which is chapter five, reporting for duty. You can move right into the Life Path Overview page, which is on page number 107, I believe. From that page, that's where you're going to see all the rules in the core rulebook. My best practice, however, is this. Build the character using the tool, and when you have a question about something you're seeing, then go back and refer to the core rulebook. That's how a player will use this best. If you're a game master... 
similar situation. Any character you want to build, if you just want to build a whole bunch of characters, build all the characters you want so you can get used to what your players are going to go through so you can learn the tool, do that, and then come back to this. If you're fortunate enough to have a player who's already played the game, they can help you through this process as well. The The last bit of best practice I'm going to suggest before we get into the nitty-gritty and go step-by-step tonight is this. Hashtag call your boys TTJ, because in addition to this episode, our Session Zero episodes, part one, aired just a week ago or so by the time this airs. Session Zero, part one, was set up for the game and talk about the game in the way in general. Part two will have just aired by the time this episode airs, and that will be the character generation episode. So you will actually be able to use the tool and go through building a character at the same time our players are doing it on air so you can build characters for yourself while we're building characters on the episode and that is going to be a great way to do this go one for one when we go to a page you can go to that page and kind of get a feel for what's going on our players did have some questions along the way we tried to get those answers to them i believe we did and they may be questions you have also had and if by chance we don't answer your question comment and hit us up on Facebook, hit us up on Twitter, ask us the questions. If we don't have the answers, we have the connections. We'll get you those answers. So best practice, use the tool, use the core rule book as a reference while you're using the tool and you're good to go. But definitely have the core rule book because it is valuable for those questions that come up, those reference things that you'll need throughout the character generation process. And game right. masters, you're going to have a blast, but that starter rule set is going to be your Bible as you get going with this. Yeah. So talk to me more about the tool that you keep referring to. What is this character generation tool and how did you find it and where, what are their credentials? Where does yeah. it come from? The original generator was created by Christopher and he goes by Ajiri, A-Z-J-E-R-E-I. Star Trek superfan, STA superfan, BC Holmes has taken over this at some point in the past, probably two or three years ago. I'm not sure the exact timing, but they have been managing this for a while and they are up to date. This tool is updated with all the details from all of the STA official books up to and including Utopia Planitia, which was released last November 2022. BC Holmes also reiterates that Jim Johnson is the current STA manager, has been very helpful in making sure this tool stays updated. So it yeah. is a fully supported tool. It's not some back of the house, hidden, don't tell anybody, I'm using this tool kind of thing. Yeah. The people who do who make this game, the creators behind and the creative minds behind the continuation of this amazing game are behind using this tool because they know it helps people enjoy this game more and bring more people on board to play the game. This is an updated tool. They maintain this and update it. There's actually – you can go to uh, – on the tool, you can actually see their update history, and they will actually let you know all the things that they've updated Um including the things that they do in prep for a new book as a new book comes out. So those rules are available. So when new things come out, it may take a little bit, but they're added here. Not only does this allow you to go through and build player main player characters, it lets you build supporting player characters. It lets you build starships. It lets you build space stations. 
and it lets you build NPCs of three or four varying types, as well as it'll even allow them to be saved on PDFs that have the LCARS format for Starfleet characters or the Klingon format for things that come from the Klingon core rules in fillable PDF. So once you have it built, you can then adjust and update that as you go, save to your device of choice. Brilliant tool. And it has all these things and a lot of knobs and dials that you can use to tweak what your options and your selections are. Yeah, I'll be honest. One of the coolest things about the output, and this isn't going to be an episode entirely about the tool, although uh, if you want to go ahead and come on the show and talk about the Star Trek tool or Star Trek Adventures, consider this a standing invitation. We would love to go ahead and have you. But what I was going to say on the other side, though, is that one of my favorite things about the output of the tool was that you don't have to go ahead and pull down the full character sheet either. They have a half sheet version. So I was using it earlier to go ahead and make NPCs for the session that I'm going to be running this weekend. And I don't need all the bells and whistles for these NPCs. Like the NPCs are largely look, the game is going to, is going to the game is going to be played before this episode comes out, so I feel confident saying this. The NPCs are more narrative than statistical, right? So I needed the stats just in case any of the players decide to go ahead and interact with them on a statistical level, but for the most part they're narrative chunks. So that half sheet that gives me their the overview of their statistical stuff, more than what I'm going to need to go ahead and run those characters. And I thought that was a really nice, elegant way of, of allowing storytellers the power to do one, the other, depending on what they need for their campaign. Now, for that shorter version in the tool, would that be used to build like on-the-fly secondary characters as well because secondary characters aren't as developed i haven't played with this new this tool by the way folks yet i'm looking forward to it but i haven't actually gotten to play with it but i have done something similar with savage worlds that front of the show marty's been running and their character creation tool really helped me understand those rules so i totally Mm -hmm. get how this one is going to help me finish grasping these yeah so the answer to your question is yes and no so (laughs) it really is yeah if you build a supporting character which has more than an npc would have that support Character can then be printed on half sheet or full sheet as well. So, yeah, I guess the full answer is yes. But supporting characters, different than main characters, they don't have everything a main character will have, has more than an NPC would have. So, it does fill that middle role. Going back to the core rules, again, where we were referencing, right before the life path, they actually talk about the fact that there are three types of characters in STA main characters, supporting characters, and NPCs. The tool lets you build all three of those. In addition to that, ships are built as characters. So everything we're going to talk about for how to build a character works almost identically as a ship. As opposed to picking a species, you're picking a space frame. And the tool will work in the exact same fashion. You're going to pick talents. You're going to pick traits and all of those things. The only difference is those are traits that are specific for space frames versus specific for living entities. So that's really the big difference between the two. Some of the selections you make as far as what source material you wish to use for the creation of your character, there are things you want to turn on and things you might want to turn off depending on the era of play you're playing, the type of game you're playing. So if you're playing an all Klingon game, you can shut off all the Federation stuff, only have the Klingon core rules, and then that's all the choices you're going to get. You're going to see the choices from the sources that you want to see. 
And uh, so I'll give some, as we get and we go through building a character, I'll give the same advice that I gave my players when I ran them through character gen, as far as what we did for our game. And then what you may want to do as an individual building your character. So I think that is a good place to dive into the first question. We've mentioned this a couple times on both last week's episode and this week's episode, the concept of main characters and secondary characters. So what are they and why am I as a player interested in them? Let's say we take an average table size, five players. The five players are playing members of the bridge crew, wherever they may be. There are obviously more bridge crew members, but they're there. In your typical Star Trek show, a given away mission will not have every member of the bridge crew go on that mission. A diplomatic mission may not necessarily take the security chief or the con officer. However, it might be the captain, the XO, and perhaps the counselor or some other position there. A medical mission might take the security officer, the medical team, but it may leave the ship's engineer or the ops officer on board the ship. The idea of supporting characters was designed so that your players can be involved in every scene in the game. Players. But their primary character doesn't have to be. So there's two ways to do this. The idea is if you go on that away mission and the doctor doesn't go, you're playing, you're the player playing the doctor, Josh, you can make a random security officer to be on this on the away mission. Now you have a player who's actively involved in the scene on the planet. That's so everybody plays in every scene. So your players at the table have vested interest in everything that's going on. That's a brilliant mechanical design to a game to keep everybody involved that lets the storyteller tell a narrative story that makes sense. You no longer have to contrive a reason why the party shouldn't split because it's absolutely okay if the party splits. Even better from a storyteller perspective, you're looking at a scene where you've got, say, two out of five of your main characters and the rest of the team that they're working with would all be NPCs that you would have to run. Absolutely. So you're also dividing out the labor and you're taking some of those NPCs or at least the ally NPCs and reassigning them to players' hands and taking that pressure off you. I love that from a storyteller's perspective. I don't know if this was the purposeful design when they were creating the STA game to really enhance the, the play and fun of the game for the game master. But as somebody who's a pretty much a forever GM, I legitimately running this game, aside from setting the stakes and calling for some rules, feel like an additional player. That doesn't happen in every TTPG, and it absolutely does here. And that mechanic of main character supporting character facilitates that feeling at an enhanced level that most games don't achieve. It is really a fantastic game for those of us who feel stuck as the forever GM because it does free up that time. If you're going to play us an NPC in a situation, whether it be allied or otherwise, worry about one. Generally speaking, there's going to be a player, possibly two, who may not be in that main characters who may not be in that scene. So any additional personnel that are required for that scene, somebody else can take up that slack. And so you're in a much better position to handle those events. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I totally agree. 
So let's dive into what Star Trek Adventures calls its life path, right? How characters are built and the ingredients that go into the character stew as you're going along here. And it's going to feel familiar on some level to other games because, again, like virtually every other game, it has basically the same mix of things, right? You need to go ahead and choose a species. You need to go ahead and pick the the environment that you're from, that contributes to mechanical benefits, and you need to go ahead and choose your job, right? Within those three things, there's going to be a bunch of variations that are specific to Star Trek, but those are the big things that you need to know about what type of character you're going to be you're going to be playing here. And what tips and tricks have you found about picking through that stuff or like formulating that stuff? Like, how did you approach that with the players in the Patreon game, for example? So the first thing I did is I I literally said. Everybody bring up the bring up the tool. And if you're listening to this episode, pause this for a minute, click on the link below, bring it up in a separate window. If you have that opportunity or the ability to do, I recommend doing it. This makes a lot more sense if you can see it while we're doing it. And you can follow along. The first thing you get is from that homepage is two choices. You have a talents overview and a characters and starship link. Now, if you just want to find out all the talents and various things, you've read the core books, you have a good idea, you just want to see what's out there, hit the talents overview. It is literally a listing of every talent in the entire game. So you can see all of the things that you could possibly select at all. For the purpose of building a character, we just hit characters and starships. That brings you to the very next page. Once you're here, this is where you get to make a few choices to set up how you build your character. Page one is basic. The first step is select your sources. So when you select your sources, pick the core rules, period. Assuming everybody who's about to start playing this game has either the PDF version because they purchased it or the physical copy of the core rules. If you have the physical copy, get a picture of yourself, contact Motifius, send them the picture. They'll get you the PDF if you only have the physical copy. They're a great company for that. Now, from here, you could pick any of the various core rule books, whether it be the Klingon book or the tricorder set and any future ones that come out, you could probably do that. But for the purposes of what we're doing tonight, we're just going to pick the core, the core rules. What this is doing is saying all of the character generation information that's located within the core book will now be selectable options while you build your character. If you add other things, you get more options. So as a GM, big pro tip for GMs, if you're building a Klingon game, click the Klingon core book. If you're building a Starfleet game and you don't have anybody who's playing a Klingon character, drop the Klingon core book. Don't give your players so many choices that it's hard to select. And now just pick what you need for the game you're running. Once you do that, you then pick your crew book. Now, for the game we're running, Star Trek Preservations, I had folks pick TNG, DS9, and Voyager. Those are the books that that I selected. If I was only playing Discovery or Strange New World, I might only pick Discovery. When you select those options, by the way, they actually list the seasons. So Picard Season 1, Discovery Season 1, and Season 2 only. So just be aware of those nuances there. I also, because I wanted them to have these selections from different quadrant books, Alpha Quadrant, Beta Quadrant, Gamma Quadrant, and Delta Quadrant, I had our players pick Alpha Alpha Quadrant only at this stage. Nobody was playing a Beta Quadrant species in the game, so there's no need to select that. Again, p- 
pick what you need so you have the select the options that would be available to you. Same thing with the vision books. If you have a if you have a player who's interested in playing command, select the command division. Don't select the other two. If you're playing ops, select ops. Science, science. For those who are not totally Star Trek literate, those are the three colored shirts. Red is command, the mustard or yellow is operations, and the blue is the science and medical. So you pick the division that for the type of character you want to play. I will say this. Nearly every Star Trek officer is probably cross-trained. So it is not a bad idea to select all three, especially if you're playing a command division, because you could play a command person who used to be in ops or a command person who used to be in science. So you can always do that. If it's your first game, I would recommend limiting your choices so you don't have too many things to select. From. So I'm going to leave that blank for the purposes of our discussion tonight, just to limit some options to make it a little easier. Then you have your campaign books. Because Star Trek Preservations is out in the frontier and it also involves a space station, I recommend it to our players to pick the Shackleton Expanse. Our game is not set in the Shackleton Expanse, by the way, but the rules that apply for Shackleton are usable and worthwhile for the game that we're playing. As of the time we're recording, we've just heard that uh, Modifius will be releasing a Star Trek Lower Decks campaign book later this year. So later this year, or sometime after that book releases, I would expect that this tool will be updated for Lower Decks. So there'll be a third campaign book to as an option. So Obviously, if there's new player character information, you would select that on the road. This tool gets updated every so often, so pick what works for you. Now, as far as major expansion books, I definitely suggest players pick the player's guide. Utopia Planitia, when building characters, I do not recommend you pick that. And here's why. That is about ships. So I deselect it when I'm building characters, and I unselect it when I'm building ships. Just makes it easier. Again, limits the choices because some of the talents for ships are the same as for characters, but a lot of the ship ones are only for ships, but they just show up if you've selected that option. So you don't want to get things. Oh, interesting. So, so if you choose the Utopia Planitia book and you're making a character, not a ship, you can choose ship talents for your character? Exactly. And cool. I don't think that's intentional, okay. but since it does it's that, it it's, works, just, yeah. it's a pro tip to, to be aware of. Yeah. And lastly, miscellaneous other books. And again, depending on what game you're playing and where you are, some of these are the voyages. I believe that's a TOS era set of options. The triple player character is literally, if you want to play a triple, I think it was like an April Fool's (laughs) joke or something like that. So it's there. It's kind of fun. If you want to build a triple, obviously just select that. That's got to be a nod to the turtle set. I I cannot speak to that. Nobody at Modifius <laughs> has told me so, no, but it wouldn't hurt my. Fe- it would not hurt my feelings any if it were. Uh, that's too funny. Once you've selected your sources, you can move. You can scroll down depending on how you have your screen size, and you'll see what era do you want to play in. There's the Enterprise era. That's Enterprise, the UPN series, Scott Bakula's show. You can select that. That gives you character options, technology options for that era series. That's OS, that's Kirk, Spock. That gives you technologies and options for that era alone. And then next gen, anything 24th century, anything TNG and after. That includes Voyager, DS9, later on Picard. You just select that one and that will give you all the things there. 
from a character perspective, it will change some options, but not as many as when you're building a ship. That becomes much more important when you're shipbuilding. When we get to that phase, I will explain that nuance a little better. This is where I'm going to give you another pro tip about the tool. The one thing it does not do well is back up. As you're creating your character, when you hit select or at the end of a page, it moves you to the next page. There are very few spaces where you can go back a page. So if you're building this and you have questions, answer them before you go off that page, or you have to go back to the start and start building your character all over again. Just be aware of that. I didn't figure that out for about three or four times through on my own, but it is a pro tip that I did mention in our session zero part two. And when we get to the next page, and there's a couple options here, main character, supporting character, starship, there's even a space sector for you game masters out there that, hey, I need my people to go to a random space sector to do things or I don't know what to do. You can actually build a space sector. It actually picks your star, picks a bunch of your planets, gives you all those details. It prints out in PDFs. You've got actual things that you can print out and hand out to your players if you're playing live or save and put up on your VT of choice. By the way, STA has a really good working relationship for anybody using Roll20. They just rolled out, I believe last week or so, some really nice tools that work with that. I personally don't use Roll20, but I am told that the integration between Modifius products and Roll20 is really strong and getting better all the time. So definitely, if you're a Roll20 person, there's some nice things you can do with that. In this case, we're going to go with main character, and that brings us right to the creation piece. What kind of character are you building? Starfleet, allied military, ambassador, diplomat, civilian, cadet, or even a child. The cadet and child, by the way, I believe those are the two options that come from the player's guide. That's where those options come for. If you don't pick that, yeah. you won't see that. But So there's all different kinds. We're going to go with standard Starfleet and hit create. Now we're, we're picking the species. We're into the life path at this point. You can roll, which gives you a random one. You can select mixed species. So if you want to play a half human, half Vulcan, you can do that. Once you've selected your species, it's going to pick your three stats that you have. We'll get into what the, your attributes and your disciplines are. But effectively, it's going to pick the three things that your species is, is good at, give you those numbers. The other state at base seven. It'll tell you what the trait for your species is and give you the option of selecting talents. The best way I can describe talents for those who look at other TRVGs, it's similar to a feat type, of, but it has different nuances. A lot of talents can impact the way or the number of dice you use or the way the results come out with your dice rolls. That's the basic way to do that. And again, if you see something that sounds narratively like something you would want your character to have, the basic information is in the tool. Refer to the core rulebook or whatever rulebook that comes out of for the specifics and the details. Once you select your options, you can move on to the next the next tab. Really quick on the talents. Just again, keeping your core book handy aside from being able to look things up individually. Something that you might find really helpful because looking at this list of talents, when you look at it in the app, it's a lot to try to digest. In each of the roles that you go over in the core book, when you're, go, when you're reviewing what kind of character you want to play, there's a quick build section that gives you guidance on what talents are great for your role. Yeah. So start reading those first. A great way to avoid the analysis paralysis. The beauty of this tool is it gives you the rules and it fixes the mechanical pieces as you go. So at this stage, if you're 
amongst a group building characters all at the same time. Depending on the species you pick, each of the steps that follow may be slightly different. You may have more choices or less choices based on the species you take. You may have certain built-in talents or traits that other people don't have. Humans, for instance, have a different, moderately different setup. You're doing the same things at the same times, but the numbers you get to manipulate and move around are different species by species. This is one of those things, too, the random rolling engine for species. There are a bunch of like random roll tables in the book, obviously, that kind of handle a bunch of the stuff if you're doing it at the table instead of instead virtually behind a screen or whatever like that, right? So keep in mind that the random roll table has different, depending on which era of the game you're picking, different species are available because of when they were available to the original. So this, you know, this is one of those things that, again, the nice, slick tool handles a bit of complexity that's in the core rules very nicely for you. Obviously, you don't need to worry about that. It'll pick it for you, but just be aware that if you're trying to play a Betazoid in the Enterprise era, you can't, right? Because it's not an available option. Sorry, Jim. Additionally, at this point, you have the ability to roll alpha species. Those are alpha quadrant species or roll core species. So you might get different, depending on what you're rolling, you could come up with different options or you can simply select. If you select, you can see all the species that are available based on your time frame, based on your source materials. So you can pick all of those things. What it tells you is what their primary attributes are likely to be or what where they are. It will also tell you talent options. So this is going to tell you or the talents that they come with, and you are going to later on have a choice of which of those options you might select. There are a few that don't have talent options, by the way, but most do. You talked before about how using the tool as a guide to build your character, but keeping the core rules handy. This is one area where that's going to come in very handy because the tool is going to give you the overview on here are your attribute changes, here are the talents that are available to you and everything like that. But if you are new to not only Star Trek Adventures, but also to Star Trek and don't know what a Tellarite is, then the core rules are going to be your friend here because each species has a page and change about the nature of the species, not super in-depth. I mean, there is super in-depth information on the species also, but at least not in the life path section where it's talking about if you're Tellarite, here are the general things that Tellarites are good at. And it gives a little bit more information than you're going to find in the tool. Again, the tool written for efficiency is going to go ahead and kind of give you the mechanical benefits or the mechanical things right up front. And then you can use the core rule book to go ahead and fall back on and say, okay, what, who, what kind of species do I actually want to play? What are the, give me a little bit more meat on the options. And also I know that the tool lays out the talents really well in terms of, as I'm picking talents, I can kind of see the description, but the descriptions are really a short description. The book has the longer descriptions and it's by species. So again, just pick on Tellarites because I happened to be building one earlier today. If you want to go ahead and see which talents are available to me as a Tellarite, it has the full requirements for what you need to go ahead and have that talent and the full description, including the mechanical benefits of that particular talent. Just underscore the point that we were talking about earlier about make sure that if you're using the tool, you also have the core rulebook handy with you as a reference guide. Yep, absolutely. Hey there, travelers. Do you want early access to all of our episodes? How about exclusive content, live broadcasts, and the chance to throw dice with your favorite hosts and fellow fans? You can do all that by signing up for our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. But wait, there's more. For the next month, you can get a free coffee mug for signing up at the Adventurer level, plus Adventurer level Patreons automatically get complimentary copies of our latest book, The Traveler's Guide to the Multiverse, available on DM's Guild. 
We love doing this show for y'all, and your support helps us keep creating and producing great content for you. We have tiers to fit any budget for a monthly commitment, so join us today at www.patreon.com slash ttjourneys. Let's talk specifically about attributes, too, because attributes are a really important thing that are going to come up, and they're going to guide the way that character goes throughout the rest of the game. Absolutely. Okay. Attributes, there are six of them. And like any TTRPG, these should seem relatively familiar, even if the terms are slightly different. There's control, daring, fitness, insight, presence, and reason. I'll give you brief descriptions of those. Control is your fine motor skill. It is, whether it be manipulating small details, you're building Legos, you are doing some microscopic surgeries. That's a control type of role. It's that dexterity type of thing in that case. You have daring. That's your ability to do daring things, swing from a chandelier while you're jumping across. It's kind of you know, a swashbuckler uh, ability, yeah. Yeah, your swashbuckler type stat. It is Riker on the on the deck of the Enterprise E, pulling up a joystick to swing a maneuver versus using the <laughs> controls, that kind of thing. You have fitness, which is pretty basic, how strong you are, how well you respond to things. It, it does impact your ability to resist damage, health, healing, that type of thing. Insight. It is pretty much what in most tabletop games. It is your ability to intuit information from the people you're dealing with. Did, were they lying to me? Does she, Do they really mean that? Are they really scared? Is there something else going on here that I'm not aware of? That's your insight. Presence. It is a little bit more of the emotional side or the personality piece that we spoke about with that swashbuckler. That is Riker swinging his leg over a chair or Kirk yeah. winking at an, at an Orion or what have you. It is Beckett Mariner doing her thing or, or Commander Ransom showing his pecs to a bunch of villagers when he's on a diplomatic mis- mission. That's your presence, right? And then reason pretty straightforward. That's your knowledge, your intellect, your science, that type of thing. All Starfleet characters start with a base seven, depending on your species. Those things can increase or decrease depending on some of the options that were selected and will be selected as we go through this process. Things will go up. Again, with Star Trek, and I don't think I mentioned it this episode, but Starfleet authors and characters in the STA game are remarkably competent. They don't fail at things that they have time and no complications to. Failure is usually only a possibility if there's complications or limited resources or limited time. Die rolls don't get made unless those types of conditions exist. And the way the stats work and the mechanics of the game work really reflect that. Like we talked about last time, right? The, The helm officer piloting the ship through normal uninterrupted space doesn't roll a 20 and crash the ship just because it's only if there's an asteroid field or if they're being chased by an enemy or if the helms officer has some sort of other complication like they are struck to be random space leeches are sucking the energy out of the propulsion exactly yeah they come down with a case of the tellurian flu who knows like that's complications are what are caused them to fail it's not normal mundane tasks and the way that the attributes break that out i think satisfies that 
too, because when you think about, we talk a lot about statistical possibility with D20 rules, right? Because each number has a possibility of coming up 5% of the time. When I was making, so I made six or seven NPCs earlier, 201, even there was a Romulan, in fact, that I created that I was shocked at. Like the way that their attributes fell out, they had three attributes that were 11s and they had three attributes that were eights, which means that even at the things that he's not good at, he's going to succeed 40% of the time. And that's a, so that, that's the kind of, kind of exceptionalism that we're talking about here. That doesn't even get into the next stick area that we'll be talking about, which is the disciplines. When you're building characters, disciplines are like the jobs or the training that you have. Generally, those numbers run one to five at a max. So yeah. when you're citing your success rate on that D20 roll, it is your attribute plus your discipline. So yep. I'm going to read the disciplines, describe right, those, that, and then yeah. I'm going to do an example. So for disciplines, we have command, pretty much like the division. Again, the red shirts, that is your ability to direct people, lead people, make decisions, that type of thing. You have con, that is your piloting skills or navigational skills, whether it be shipboard or land base. If you're on the ground and you need to find a way to get to that mountain over there and all of your equipment is bad, it's your con skill that you're going to be or discipline that's going to partially govern how well you get there. It may be reason and con, but we'll talk about that later. But it is definitely con in that situation. Security. Firing a weapon, manipulating weapons consoles, knowledge about various dangers, ambushes, things like that. That's that discipline. Engineering, pretty simple. It is warp fields. It is working the engine on the system, building equipment, understanding what's wrong with equipment, coming up with new equipment ideas. It is the application of scientific knowledge and building a thing or working with a thing or manipulating a thing to do or achieve a goal. Science is just that. It is the the knowledge. It's the utilizing tools or sensors to understand the universe around you and what's happening, the various sci-fi technologies that exist in within the Federation or exist within the world of Star Trek. Lastly, medicine. Pretty straightforward. This is just that. It is specific to medicine, healing, your knowledge of different things of that nature. Those are your disciplines. So back to that example I spoke of, if you have an enemy, let's say there's an Orion pirate who jumps on the bridge and you are the security officer at your tactical station and he comes in and you wish to fire your phaser on stun to stop that Orion pirate, typically firing your weapon and aiming is going to be a control plus security role. So if you have a 10 for control and a three for security, you have a 13. When you roll your D20, any roll under a 13 is a single success. Any roll that's a one counts as two successes. So if the difficulty to hit a person is two and you roll a one and a 18, you still get two successes. You have successfully hit that person. If you roll, roll two 15s, you have no successes in that situation. So you don't hit the person. And that's the way that works. Now, there are other things that you can manipulate the rules. We'll get into that, threat, momentum, and all those things in later episodes. But generally, that's how the rules work. You add your attribute and your discipline, and you roll under that number with your 2d20. Each die is one of those two rolls, and then you count the success or failure therein. If you roll a 20, by the way, that's a complication. Um, 
and we'll talk about rules of complications in later episodes, but that's how the mechanics work. And that's essentially what you're setting up when we are selecting our attributes and disciplines as we go through here. Again, with most characters, your attributes for the start as sevens across the board, and it gives you three attributes that are enhanced. Humans are a bit different. They actually get to select which three they change. So they have a little bit more freedom of movement with their attributes, but it's the same numbers. The next section in the life path is your environment. This is basically where you came from. In other games, it's referred to as a background. You can roll for your environment or you can select an environment. Uh, if you really don't know, roll. Depending on your source material, you're not going to get anything too difficult. But basically, you've got things like you come from a busy colony world, a frontier colony world, a home world. So if you're Vulcan, your home world will be Vulcan. If you're human, your home world will be Earth, so on and so forth. Isolated colonies. You could be a starship or starbase kind of person. So you basically, like Meriwether in Enterprise, you were born in space, you lived in space, that's your thing. You can also pick another species home world or another species world. So if you want to be a human raised on Vulcan, you can choose that. You want to be a Tellarite raised on Betazoid, you could do that. <laughs> Either term uh, applies. So whatever narratively you feel like you want to do for that, go ahead and choose that. And then you can hit select. It also gives you what attributes it's going to add bonuses to. It's going to give you disciplines that it's going to add bonuses to here. Right. So each section of the life path, when you're choosing something like this, effectively the pieces of your background, you're getting attribute, small attribute increases or discipline increases based on your experiences from that, correct? Absolutely. Exactly. It builds your character as you go. And I've talked about it in previous episodes on the show, but I think you might have to go into deep history on that. But that is very much like the Mechton book that I used to use a lot in games we played years ago, Glenn, where I would use the life path there where if you did a thing and it would benefit X, Y, or Z. Very similar to that. Each stage in that life path added to your character in some fashion. Yeah, the, the SDA book has a fantastic phrase for this kind of concept is creation in play is your character you're making choices about where your character came from and gaining, like you said, little benefits as you go along, as opposed to other game systems where it's, like, I roll everything like that. And then I pick a background and my background has, a, has one small benefit to it or one small thing, but it doesn't really, it's not really transformative to the shape of the character versus the life path creation system where it's like, nope, every choice that you make through this matrix is going to impact your character in some way statistically. Right. And it's really going to create a very rounded character. I think and each one should have a story yeah. too and create exactly. a narratively rounded character. Yeah, a focus. Yeah, exactly. Each piece should have... You should define how it affected your character, what happened. You should have a story behind each one. If, if you go through the character generation fact, it makes you actually, uh, every time it calls for a focus, and that's exactly what you're talking about, the little story that goes, what does this actually mean? This should have something to do with your time in Starfleet Academy or whatever. If It won't actually let you continue unless you fill that in. <laughs> so yeah. it's so sometimes for a quick build, it's, it's, a, it's not great because uh, you got to make sure you go ahead and click that little narrative piece in there too. But yeah, that's... Uh, it's very, very cool for character generation. I will say that much. So. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, when you pick the environment, that's the first one of those, here's where you have to fill something in. And it is a value. We actually have an episode scheduled to go into... Uh, I, what, what, 
What, I didn't call them values. What did I call them? You called them talent. Focus. Uh, focus. I called them focus, focus. which There's is focuses totally different. and values both mixed throughout the life path, yeah, yeah, depending okay. on what stage yeah. you're at. Yeah. I meant so, values, not focuses. Yeah. <laughs> so that, in this case, with the value, the fastest way, I'll just do the very basics here. When we get to our deeper episode on these types of things, we'll talk about it in greater detail. But value is an I believe statement. Narratively, if you're doing the environment, your background, where you came from. It's what is the I believe statement your character came to during this time in their life. It could be I believe anything. I believe that open spaces is better than closed environments, let's say. And then you could put that in. That is something that you, the player, get to write. Nobody else determines that. And we're going to talk at a later point how that works. But effectively, that's going to help you gain meta currency in the game that you can use to positively impact some of your roles and your mechanics and outcomes in various scenarios and scenes in the game. And if you're unsure at any one of these stages, you can just type something in here as a placeholder, move through it, and then later on go back and write it in. But if you're building your first characters, this is a great time to look in the book, look in the core rules and see some of those options with those roles to get ideas of what to do in those situations. So definitely from that particular life path section, you then go on to a really your upbringing and what that basically is, what your parents put you through rule, upbringing, artistic, creative, business, trade, diplomacy, politics, science, technology, or a standard Starfleet upbringing. And it's going to ask a question of you later on, which is, did you (laughs) accept that upbringing? Or did you rebel against that up? Which I, I, I thought that was that. a nice touch. It's yes. so great. And it gives you different benefits yeah. depending on which one you choose. That yep. was hot. That was There's a really no nice There's no negatives. Touch. It's just a change in your benefit depending on your choice. Because all of us were raised doing a thing or raised by parents or a community <laughs> or a village that does a thing. And you either decided that's my jam or – I'm no. a rebel. I was raised by wolves. <laughs> I do what I want. I do what I want. <laughs> <laughs> and so, again, this is one of those things that mechanically so supportive of a great role playing technique that's there. And then again, it gives you the disciplines that are improved by being raised in a certain way. So, whatever you select, you will then get be asked, did you accept it or rebel against it? It'll then make the changes based on that decision. It'll give you the the choice of three disciplines. You get to add one to which of the three disciplines are options for that upbringing choice. And again, a talent that you select based on talents that you would have learned during that particular type of upbringing. And this is where you get your first focus. Now, focuses are a little bit different than values. Values are, I believe, statements. Focuses are specific areas of study or knowledge within a thing. So if, let's say, I chose agricultural background and I accepted that background, I might have a specific area of knowledge about agriculture. So let's say I know a lot about food crops or raising food crops. So I might, as a focus, just write in food crops. Where this comes in is when you're rolling various challenges. So if you're studying a planet, like a planet's having a problem, there's some kind of blight, people are dying, you're playing a blue shirt scientist who happens to come from an agricultural background, happens to have food crops as their focus. When you roll that reason, science skill, 
And let's say you had that 10 and 3, so you have 13. If you roll under 13, you succeed. If you roll a 1, you get a 2. However, if your focus is food crops and your challenge or your test is about food crops, if you roll under your discipline, which is 3, so you roll a 2 or a 3, it counts as a critical success, so it would also count as 2. So you could roll a one and a two, and that would be three successes on that specific challenge. Gotcha. So if you can find a way to relate your focus to the role. You have a better shot of success. Hmm. Another great example is, let's say it was you're a doctor and you're studying some kind of alien disease that has impacted your crew. Reason, medicine, if xenobiology was your focus, let's say you ended up with 10 and 5. Now, any roll under 15 is a single success. Any roll of a one is a double success. Any roll under five is also a double success. Okay, yeah. okay, I got you. Now, what, I, what the thought that was trying to form before you helped me solidify it. Basically, if you can find a way to tie your focus to your task in a world where a natural one is the critical success, you're expanding your threat range by the amount of the trait, no, not the trait, the discipline, that the focus is attached to. Yes. Exactly. I wouldn't use Perfect. threat. I would actually use success rate just for another reason because threat is yeah. a different <laughs> because mechanic. Because threat is a different mechanic. Oh, totally different mechanic in this game. Yeah, I was relating it in my brain to a familiar yeah. mechanic. Apologies. Yeah. No, nope, no nope, worries. Nope. It, it, but you've got it. That's, you, but okay. that's yeah. exactly that's what where, you do. That's where the disciplines come in handy is that they increase your crit range if you can tie it to your focus. And right. there That's are, a good reason to not necessarily have your – all of your eggs in one basket, so to speak, in terms of your disciplines and you get options to raise other ones. Absolutely. Or you go with the one trick pony route, right? Where think about my Romulan guy earlier. So that's, he's a tactician, right? So he didn't apply to him, but there's another NPC that's a scientist, right? So his highest scores are insight and reason. His highest discipline is science. And Max them out as far as I could bring them, specifically to go ahead and be like, he is never, ever going to fail a science role ever. And most likely he is going to succeed by he's going to be able to do extraordinary science tasks easily without really the because when you start talking about two two success roles, yeah, I'm rolling two d twenty. Uh, being able to succeed on my own on a two success role isn't horribly difficult. But if, Luanika calls for a four success role and I'm by myself, I really need to be able to go ahead and either increase my dice pool, which there are options of doing, or be able to leverage my focuses, my foci. Both words are actually grammatically correct. Yeah. Be able to leverage a focus into my discipline to increase my crit range so that now rolling my 2d20, I could get four successes or three successes with my 2d20. So, cool. Yeah. That makes good sense. Yep. And once you're done with your talent selection and uh, selecting the boxes that appear at that part of the tool, again, you're choosing accept or rebel. That fixes some stats. You select one of your disciplines to increase. You select a talent. You write in your focus, and you're on to the next life path step. Again, we're doing Starfleet Academy, so that's going to pop in here. Depending on your selections in that earlier stage and the type of character you're playing, this could alter. Based on Starfleet characters, this is where you go next. And this is where you have some neat options. You can select the officer track or the enlisted track. Now, 
I believe enlisted might come from the player's guide. So if you're not selecting the player's guide, you may not see that option. I'm not 100% on that. But again, every one of these fields will be altered by the source material you're selecting. So if you're following along and you're not seeing some of the choices we're talking about, chances are you might have missed one of the sources that we recommended selecting. But in general, you go to Starfleet, you get enlisted or officer. The biggest difference between the two is the tool will select rank options at the end of this process based on what you select here. Additionally, I believe there's one, I think you get one less, you get one less selection later on in the process if you choose enlisted versus officers. Officers have a bit more choices than enlisted. So I'm going to choose officer track at this point. You can also roll officer track. If you're building a character, I recommend you select, there's really only three choices, Command Operation Science. Pick the one for the type of character that you wish to you wish to do. And at this point, depending on other choices, you're probably going to end up with something like three points that you get to distribute amongst your attributes. And you can put them where you need to do to build the type of character you want. All of your choices thus far have been updated to this point. So you're basically just adding what you need. Yep. Yeah. And you get to select your major at the Starfleet Academy. Again, depending on what, where you check, that'll tell you what your options are. But you pick your major. And once you pick your major, you then get to add two to your discipline. So pick the two disciplines that you're interested in adding to. And then you have three foci to select. There are a number of resources. Continuing Conversations has some of these there, but there are a bunch of resources for focus options, I'm sure, between the core book and Player's Guide. Yeah, there's examples other resources. in the core book, too. There's a ton <laughs> of examples. My group has some. One of our players has actually collected a list of examples by division and has them on a nice little spreadsheet. So my group actually has a nice little resource that they built hmm. to make some of these choices easier. There are some that are pretty stock, XO. Xenobiology, warp field theory, Noonian, positronic matrix. You can pick all kinds of very Star Trek-y things. But I'm going to caution folks at this stage, pick something that may not be directly, quote-unquote, Star Trek-y. If you think about the TNG groups, Riker played the saxophone. Trombone. I'm sorry, correction. The trombone. My bad. I'm awful. Tom Paris was a fan of old movies of the Flash Gordon type. They made a fictitious version of that, but basically Flash Gordon. So pick some things that are different. Various characters might want to paint. Some people might want to, or might be good at dancing. Round yourself out. Be a human. Be a human. Pick something cool. Remember, this is a post-scarcity group. People have time for leisure pursuits, and they're really, really good at them. Yeah. Pick some of those. And pro tip for you GMs. Pay attention to the foci that your players select. You don't have to bring them up every single session, but if in the course of a campaign, every player doesn't have the opportunity to use one or all of their foci, you've missed a great opportunity. I'm not going to say you're doing things wrong, but you've missed an opportunity. So players don't hide your foci from your for, and your values from your GMs. GMs, pay attention to those because they're important. Lean into them. Yeah, lean in. <laughs> Same thing with the NPCs. Like the NPCs, again, NPCs, I, I used the, the secondary character template to go ahead and make them because I was making them small and agile, but they all have a kind of a quirk about them that is about the type of person that they are. 
And that's a fantastic shout out, of course, to Joe, the Patreon supporter who is playing the captain of of the vessel that's going to be in that that's going to be featured in Star Trek Preservation. Thank you, Joe, for putting together that information for our players. In addition to your three foci, you've got some talent options to select. Again, add a talent, and then you have another value that you would select. Again, an I believe statement based on your time at the Academy is what you're looking for here. I believe that Starfleet is my family. Starfleet is family or something to that effect is a great type of value that can be easily factored into any kind of critical situation where lives of fellow crew members are on the line. Then you move into your career. Where you can pick basically between a junior, mid-career, or veteran type role. Like everything else, like every other path, every other choice that you make along this path, statistical benefits vary between them all. Make sure that you go ahead and read the core rules to go ahead to get the descriptions on how that's going to impact your particular character. So you pick the one that kind of works best for you and your game. That's definitely one that you want to check with your GM on. For instance, in our game, we went with younger officers, generally speaking. So nobody picked the veteran. They either picked experience or young. And it does impact the rank of your character. If you pick veteran, you can't be below a certain point of rank. If you pick young, you can't be above a certain point of rank. It doesn't also say that you shouldn't... There's something about not being above a lieutenant, right? Is there that most player characters aren't above a lieutenant? Correct. But if you choose veteran, you can't be below lieutenant commander. That's right. So that's the issue. If you pick young, you can't be above Lieutenant JG. You get a little more bandwidth if you choose experienced, but you if you choose veteran, that's where GMs might might want to set some parameters for the game they're running. It's a great session zero conversation. So So does the length of the career that you choose at this point impact the number of events that happen in your career pre game start, or does Uh, that just stay the same number? Do you know? It doesn't. By standard rule, but a common homebrew rule is you get one career event for for young, you yeah. get two for, two for, for experienced, yeah. and three for veteran. Yeah. And then depending on if you, say, want to build a captain, you might add a fourth or something. That you can't do with the tool. That you'd have to do manually at the end of the process when you have your yeah. fillable PDF. Yeah. Uh, but that's – I think that's a strong homebrew rule, and I will definitely be doing that. Right now, we're playing this game pretty much by the book to yeah. learn the system and bring everybody on board. But future games, I would definitely institute that kind of homebrew rule. Yep. And to your point, Glenn, about what events are. So once you pick your career path, in which case are, events are exactly that. You have a list. So there, there are a couple of options here. We've mentioned this before that you can pick or roll. This is the one that we really recommend that you roll on because if you enjoy a little we run a very collaborative style game where the players are part of our game world and they are part of creating the game world. Leaving those options up to chance about what has happened to your character over the scope of their Starfleet career gives gives those interesting options that a that a player is going to be able to go ahead and sink their teeth into and will help round out that character in ways that the player doesn't necessarily understand when they first pick them. You can go through and you can pick the events that you want in there, but... In this case, randomly rolling them adds a really fun angle to it. We're talking things like first contact, destroyed yeah. a ship, major death injury, of a friend, yeah, death of a fr- yeah, ma- major things that happened in, in yeah. your life in the career, and all of them yeah. could have so much narrative potential. And I definitely consider that as the first ship I was posted to. This was the major event that happened in those couple years of my career. The second yeah. ship is the next 
career event. And this is the, oh, these are the things that happened to me. That's yeah, narratively that's the way, way I think about it. that. Yeah. So it's it's not like every mission these great life impacting things happen, but during your first tour of duty, a thing something happened. A, a major thing happened. That's the way I think about it. That's a bit of a holdover from Last Unicorn's games because they were very specific on that topic where this is a little more work it out the way you want to. But I generally feel, and I know the person who talked to me, which was Joe, about that homebrew rule we, we just spoke of, that's pretty much the way they have run it. Like you've done, you've been on three different ships. You have three different career events. Nice. Nice. Cool. That makes good sense. Um, and that's that's pretty much it, though. There's yeah, not, that's it. Pick, yeah. pick There's a couple of finishing under. touches in the last couple of yeah. screens that are just going to let you put on some last little bits of customization so you can yep. get all your I's dotted and your T's crossed and everything yep. just arranged picture perfect. But yeah. yeah. But otherwise, that's it. Yeah. I, and I know after a solid hour on the radio that, that there's a lot in here. And there are definitely a lot of choices, but... I think using a tool like this is really going to help you streamline your process and help you get through the stuff here. Yeah. I mean, As someone who was trying to fully understand the character generation process from the core rule book, and I only say that because it's a massive amount of information, yeah. versus using this tool, because when you're reading those talent lists, it's huge, way easier. I didn't touch this tool until they sent me the link during this episode. And in the meantime, <laughs> I've rolled all the way through creating a character and understand how a character is created now. Yeah. I may not fully have the game play down, although I have a good solid understanding of the mechanics yeah. already, but it made yeah. that first step into the game woo, infinitely easier. So definitely yeah. use this tool. Like so. I said, this tool, core rule as a reference guide, perfect for players. GMs, this tool, core rules as a reference guide, GMs guide for a few other nuances, and that starter kit. And you're good yeah. to roll. Everybody can make their own character. You don't even have to use the pregens, but if you want to, use the pregens. If you got somebody who just showed up and wants to sit down with you, and you're ready to rock, you just really <laughs> are ready to rock. Yeah. We mentioned earlier that Starship creation with this tool works very similarly to creating characters. We're not going to do go through the step by step here, but if you tune in to session zero, part three of our actual play, we do that making three shuttlecraft for the Delamas Christian, the hero ship of Star Trek Preservations. With the players, they actually design and make their own ships in this case. So a great step-by-step -step is available on the channel. Tune into our actual play, Session Zero Part 3 for Star Trek Preservations, and you'll have it. Yep. And for those of you playing along at home, Session Zero Part 3 comes out this next Tuesday. So after you're hearing us talk about it, you can check out those rules this coming Tuesday. And then on next Friday's episode, we're going to deviate from Star Trek a little bit here because longtime friend of the show and editor of many of our books and a voice of reason in many of the gaming communities that we have been part of for the last 25 years. Josh Heath said that, hey, I'm putting out a Kickstarter for a new game, so I want to come on the show and talk about it. We're like, yes, please come on the show and mm -hmm. talk about what is a incredibly fun and very interesting game system called Army Men, which is exactly what it sounds like. It is a role-playing oh, yeah. game built on the concept of the little plastic resin Army Men. You want to talk about Sandbox. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, but don't worry, we'll be back to Star Trek after that. We have a fantastic interview with Al Spader coming up in a couple weeks here. But next week on the show, you're going to be hearing our interview with Josh Heath talking about his game Army Men. That's on Kickstarter. If it's not on Kickstarter yet, it certainly will be by the time next episode comes out. I know the, the preview link is live now, but we'll make sure and include the Kickstarter link when it comes out. 
Luminica, thank you for all the depth of information that we went through on this. You have done the yeoman's work to go ahead and figure out the best way to go ahead and get through there so that we can deliver this episode tonight, including us, <laughs> bringing Glenn and I up to speed on how to go ahead and do this. We mentioned this last episode about how all three of us came into the game from different vectors and had varying levels of success with with it. I think that this episode is going to be really helpful to folks out there that are trying to go ahead and build characters. So we'll make sure and put the link to the character generator from BC Homes in the in the show notes. And yeah. And I invite you all to go ahead and check out our Patreon and join and play because we would love to go ahead and have you join along. And if you are in the greater Connecticut area, I have already made arrangements and we'll be posting some live Learn to Play Star Trek STA events. The first of those will be run Sunday, May 7th at Citadel Game Cellar in Groton, Connecticut. The folks down there have been kind enough to make sure we're going to have plenty of books and dice available for nice. purchase, as well as players are going to come in. I'm actually going to be running the starter box set again because it's the best way to learn the game. I will be bringing pre-gens that come from the box set. I will be creating pre-gens using the tool by BC Homes. So I have enough for lots of players. My goal is to be there most of the day. So if people come in and only can play for a little while, so be it. Uh, if you come in later, we'll we'll hand you a character. You can jump right in. The goal is really to learn the game, get everybody's knowledge up, and see how the mechanics work. It'll be a lot of fun. All right. So we'll make sure to go ahead and post all about that so you can go join Luminica on May 7th down at the Citadel. Thanks, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. Hope that you're finding this episode useful. And we'll be back with Star Trek in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, make sure you keep checking out the actual play episodes on Tuesday. Have a good night. Good night, all. IDIC. Later. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com, where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast. You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter, Tumblr, or Instagram at TT Journeys. Joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. Our full episodes come out every week on Friday. And every Tuesday features actual play and gameplay showcase episodes. Looking for early access? You can support the show and get episodes before everyone else at www.patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. Check it out today and see all the awesome benefits we bring to our supporters. Lastly, if you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible, you would really appreciate it if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform. Thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community. And we bid you fair tides, friends, for Legends Await.